welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders sharing thoughts and practical tips for growing your most valuable customers. This series has been recorded as part of the launch to our Customer Buying Index, where we codify 10 years of account-based marketing experience and provide a rolling pulse into the enterprise buying cycle. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, founder and CEO at Momentum ABM. Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This episode has been recorded as part of our series for our CBX 2020 Summit, hosted virtually on June the 2nd. I know so many of our listeners are looking to get more and more insights from buyers outside of the IT department. So today I'm thrilled to be joined by Pete Markey, Chief Marketing Officer at TSB, where we'll be talking about Pete's own experience in making large IT investments, and we'll be unpacking some of the data behind our customer buying index. Pete, welcome. Great to be here. Thank you. You've worked at some pretty diverse and exciting brands. Can you get us started with a, a bit about who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, no problem. So um, I've been in marketing all my career and I've been lucky enough to work, uh, as you say, for some great brands. My career started in British Gas, where actually I started looking at all the analytics and performance of marketing. And then I was able to move through British Gas to other companies that were owned by Centrica at the time, who owned British Gas, I worked in the AA. And then I worked for a telecoms company called OneTel that got bought by TalkTalk. Yes. And then I, spent, then, I was, then I was able to spend a number of years in insurance and from there into the post office and then uh, into a broader financial services sphere more recently at, at TSB. But it's been, it's been marketing, it's been data, it's been brand, it's been all the threads throughout my career. Brilliant. So you, you've, you must have in that experience made a breadth of investments from if you talk about data analytics through to marketing capabilities across those those different firms, someone like British Gas or the post office, very different customer demands to a, a, a TSB. Uh, what yeah. would you say some of the biggest learnings have been along the way, thinking about the services and technology investments you've made? I mean, I think you're right. The, the, these sorts of investments, I, I think, are actually becoming increasingly important. So if I look back in the early days of my career, we did invest very heavily. Data was central in British Gas, mm-hmm. but I think it's become even more important, you know, in in the the world I'm working in in now. And so these investments are really key because it's about unlocking the potential, as well as building the relationship with your customers more. So there's definitely a commercial benefit, but there's also you know a huge brand benefit of being able to better connect with your customers and future customers, and build a better stronger relationship uh, in very, very competitive markets. So so I've been involved with a number of processes to bring uh, marketing technology into a business and importantly then to to make sure it's used well and <laughs> optimized as well because it, none of this is, is all easy, but the, almost like it would be easy to say, you know, just buy it and then you plug it in and off you go. See what sticks, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, but actually um, I've learned that there's a quite a big cultural shift and a team shift mm. and a training and a, and a capability shift that goes with any any purchase like that it often gets underestimated and why sometimes these projects are, are less successful than they would like to be. So biggest takeaway then is really about not just seeing it as a single purchase at a moment in time. It's how you bring the rest of the organization and the teams with you from a capability training, onboarding and really making sure that the investment is successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really important to align the business behind an investment like this. I think it's remarkable how many people are involved in those large investment decisions, not just pre-purchase, but then also afterwards to make sure it's it's successful. I think our customer buying index tells us 15 people are involved pre-purchase. What What's your perspective on how big this this challenge is? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it depends on the organization. I, I you know, smaller companies I've worked in, it, it, you'd have less hoops to jump through. But I, but I think 
it's important on both sides. I think there's, 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 you know, if you're selling services into a company, then you need to know what you're facing into. But often, I think internal teams underestimate the number of people involved in some of the decision making. And um, look, so marketing's relationship with the IT team is paramount on this because, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's, in no job have I had autonomy to go. I'm just going to install this or fit this or do that without some. Um, working alongside the IT team to to validate and be involved in that that decision making process. And then actually, you know, that there's clearly a need for a really robust business case. And that involves working with finance and other stakeholders, working with business leads, because the kind of businesses businesses I've worked in, you know, are all tied to product growth and, and mm-hmm. revenue. And so, you know, I, I can never produce a business case, you know, take British gas and say I'm going to double the electricity sales because those will appear in someone's numbers and ultimately the uh, I'd get in trouble with the uh, the electricity product director. You know, so those those interlinking points are, are really key. So yeah, no, I I, I recognise that quite long chain. The important bit is is knowing who the key decision makers are. Though you know, who are the people that are ultimately going to make the choice, and who are the people you need to work alongside and help to get something over the line. And Pete, thinking about that dynamic between your your role leading marketing and IT and partnering together, what what's that look like in different scenarios? Have have you always gone to IT with here's my problem, come back to me with a set of solutions, or have you come up with here's three or four vendors that I believe can address my challenge? Now do some solution analysis. What's that dynamic look like? Yeah, I've I've, I've done a bit of both. I'm favouring the latter now more mm-hmm. because I think. I guess this this is down to where the expertise sits. And so Mm -hmm. the IT functions are are great at their overall expertise, but I wouldn't expect them to be experts on marketing tech, for example, but I would expect the guys who run my analytics team for me to be all over this sort of technology and be able to know what the best in market looks like. And also, you know, I should know that as well. And so actually I think going with a need to IT, but also saying, look, but we've identified what we think the solution is because we've already looked at some options, I think is not unhelpful as a starting point. Now, it might be that other ideas come forth, but the usual suspects are going to be in there. But at least having a view of what the different vendors can offer yourself, you know, rather than just ask IT to come back blindfold, I think it is not not a bad thing to do. So I do. And actually, I think then as the process develops, you at least having some expertise in your own team and, and a point of view is super helpful when you're then validating uh, what options return. I think there are so many investment decisions where they get chucked over the fence to IT saying, well, you're the experts, you go and figure it out. But actually, some of that specialist requirement and specialist skill set like data analytics and how would you use it in a particular scenario get lost along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned there, Pete, about the finance function and, and take building a business case together with finance. And we've seen across almost all technology investment purchases that finance and IT are both playing key roles. Are finance there at the end for you to, to rubber stamp the business case or do you involve them much earlier on in the, that buying cycle? I think early involvement is really key around what you're trying to do. And, um, and often, you know, th- these things form part of an annual planning cycle. So if you're putting together your annual budget in say September or October for the start of the following year in January, if that's the calendar year you work on, then then actually that, that engagement with finance is really important at that, even at that early stage for what numbers go into your, your operating plan uh, for investment. So I think you know that early engagement really matters. And then there is there is, as you say, a, a need to then validate the final purchase through the lens of a business case. You know, so for example, are, are you, as I was saying earlier on, gonna, gonna take 
the benefit of those numbers in in your your sales numbers for the year or will they appear somewhere else you know how are you going to show the evidence of the business case coming back so the annual planning cycle becomes really important to that doesn't mean that you you wouldn't do stuff outside that but it becomes much harder if you haven't planned for that already as you go into the year Got it. I think one of the things that I've been most surprised about from from our latest data is this clear trend of responsibilities shifting as to who's building consensus. So as you go from figuring out what your requirements are, it could be your analytics team, as as you then go down the, the chain of identifying solutions and selecting suppliers, it may then, some of that emphasis may fall on your IT function. Where, where does it get sticky in a large complex buying cycle for you? Has it been around aligning your team predominantly or is it the more cross-functional it gets, the harder harder it becomes to get that alignment? It is definitely when it gets cross-functional. I, I think it, it's it's because, because you're dealing with teams that are all busy already. Mm. So trying to get traction, you've got to line up resources on each side to make sure that, that, that the IT support is there as with marketing, as with procurement, all those things need to come into alignment. And if they don't, it's like, you know, you can't have people working off stuff off the side of their desk because that's when it never quite happens. Mm-hmm. So that alignment, in my experience, has to come at quite a senior level. So, you know, me and the IT director, you know, and the head of procurement, you know, us being aligned that these things matter and we're all trying to do the right thing becomes really important because then the resource comes with it. If you don't get that alignment, then... You know, if the IT team don't see that, that this is important in their IT director's eyes, mm-hmm. then just because I think it's important doesn't mean it's going to happen. And it's going to feel like just marketing's project alone rather than a business project. Yeah, you almost get added to a long list of <laughs> projects or initiatives that the business yeah. is asking for and you're on a backlog to, to be looked at. Got it. Uh, are there moments in in that investment decision and that process that you've been through, Pete, where um, it's it's actually been quite hard winning over stakeholders? I know with some of our clients, they at the early ideas stage, it, it can be a challenge to inspire the business into action or so, sometimes at a later stage where it feels just a bit too hard and too complex, particularly when you're looking at large integration projects. The rest of the business kind of loses focus uh, have there been moments like that, that that have been harder to keep that alignment going yeah no definitely I think I remember um when I was running marketing at post office and we were investing in some you know, marketing cloud software that it, it, it was just be- again it's because the business was doing so many things at the time that getting it on the radar as you know this matters this relationship building and, and data you know and it took some effort to pull that case together and get get some traction on it but when we got there it was it was very satisfying to get it over the line the results were, were very very good and i was able to build a, a a new analytics function out out of out of that work and actually i got some third-party help i brought in a, a small agency to help me because part of this is, is also the the energy and drive and so one of the things that, that in, in my kind of job is you you haven't got the time to drive it all on your own. You need really mm-hmm. good people to do it. And then my learning in post office was actually bringing in some additional help for a short, sharp burst or period of time was really helpful to get some outside help to help shape the business case, find the right numbers in the business, connect the right people together. And then for me to, as sponsor to then push it over the line. But a lot of it is it, it's quite heavy lifting and handle turning to pull the numbers through a business, get things together, get people aligned. And, and that really is a for a period almost like a full time job, really, for people. So having that, that that alignment, that resource up front really matters. 
Yeah, no, I think you make a really good point there from a focus and discipline perspective. It will take you a long time to rally um, people inside the business and you've got many other competing priorities. And as the market shifts, your priorities are also shifting. So having another party potentially help support that and bring some focus and, and in some ways drive that change can be a good way to alleviate it. We, we've seen some of our clients almost help as vendors help their customers to build build consensus. Whose job do you see it as? Is, is it on the vendor to say, let's try and align people behind a particular idea? Is it on you as the program initiator, the leader of change? Whose job is it do you see as building that alignment? I think it's on both sides. Both sides. I, mean, I think for the, um, for, you know, if I was the one, ultimate, the ultimate customer for that sort of technology, I think I, I, it's my job to get the internal alignment right. It would be my view me with other senior stakeholders because if, if we can't get it right i wouldn't expect the vendor to have to sort that out for us but i do think then the, getting the vendor aligned with what we're trying to do and also advising a bit on yeah because they've got the expertise having done these sorts of implementations before it's not unhelpful when they said you know, when we did it at company x we needed x y and z mm-hmm. super helpful to know that to make sure we're, we're ready and aligned and, and ready to execute particularly in that deployment stage when, when you're not just deploying new technology but you're changing ways of working and operating and everything as well that expertise is really helpful but um but i, I think i think it sits partly between the two but i do think for myself as a client there's, there's a lot of work i need to do internally to bring alignment first Pete, you touched on earlier about the annual planning cycle and and thinking about the rhythm of those cycles. Part of our data tells us that organisations are fueled into action. They start something because they're looking to try and increase efficiencies. And we've seen particularly in uh, financial services insurance firms that security threats or diversification, whether it's a new product offering, that can often start a new investment cycle. What's your experience of the trigger to do something different? Well, I guess this is the importance of the, the, the leader to sponsor it. And I I guess in my experience, when the genesis of these projects start, it's a realization for a senior marketing leader that something needs to change. And I think that that, that recognition is either recognized in your own business's performance mm-hmm. or it's recognized in comparison to competitors or that your frame of reference is, is different. So the job I did before this one at TSB, I worked at Aviva and we implemented the Adobe Marketing Cloud. And uh, other products are available, but we implemented <laughs> and, and um, it was seen as and was a very successful implementation. Didn't mean it was necessarily easy, but it, it was it was a good one. And so, I, you know, when I've come into TSB, I, I have a frame of reference of I've seen what really good looks like, which is different to other people's experience. So I, th- I think sometimes it can be the catalyst of, of someone's experience having changed companies or or come you know come from somewhere else with a different background but often it's a very real commercial imperative you know you want to improve sales in a particular product line you want to drive down your cost of acquisition you're being outclassed by the competitors you're recognizing that that you're off on key objectives like you know cross-selling or upselling or value creation for customers so so now i've seen it come from a number of points but i guess it may be a very obvious point the key thing that unites all those is is commercial goals and the realization that something needs to change for commercial goals to be realized uh, and that that technology may be part of that if not all of that answer sure and have vendors ever done anything to help you initiate almost make the connection between your commercial goals and their technology capabilities yeah yeah the best vendors have i think best vendors that i've worked with are ones that don't just arrive and give you an off-the-shelf here's the usual powerpoint that we've played to everyone before but actually really take time it doesn't have to be perfect, but have some decent understanding of the business they're presenting to. 
-hmm. and come in with some knowledge where you go, you know, actually, from what we understand, we see this, this and this. Therefore, we think you could apply, you know, this, this and this much better way in because otherwise you, sometimes you can struggle to join the dots in a senior role where you're trying to work out quite where this would fit in with what you already do but no i, I think those kind of um sometimes cold pitches aren't, aren't necessarily bad as long as long as they they feel tailored towards your need and what you're doing and as as you say you're juggling so many different balls and, and getting pulled in lots of different directions often having a completely vanilla pitch from a, a vendor can just mean nothing to nobody certainly in our experience the the more you can make join those dots make that connection the better one of the challenges we get often asked is how vendors are positioning themselves to customers and our customer buying index tells us that vendors are very quickly qualified out if their messaging is unclear or their proposition is is confusing and particularly looking at fs and insurance a massive figure 42% i think of companies are qualified out just because their proposition isn't well understood by the buyer what what's your experience in hearing from vendors are are they getting it more right than often or are they getting it wrong i think they've definitely got better be my take on it. I can think back to my insurance days when I worked for More Than, where I remember one particular vendor who that they, they met us because they had something to sell. And it was clear that they were just going through the standard spiel. We'd had a couple of pre-meetings with them and they just hadn't listened. And then you feel like you've just had your time wasted. So but I do think that a lot of them have moved on and realized that I guess they re- realized that, that that you're buying into the people as much as you're buying into the technology, that relationship matters. And also the realization that longer term relationship matters. And it's not just a kind of, I'm selling you this and then I'm walking away. Actually, you know, with any business, you're looking to, to a longer term relationship, hopefully, where the, the quality of post-sale support and you know, post-sale on implementation, you know, implementation really matters as well. So, so no, I'd, I'd argue it's, it's got better. I mean, I, I still get all sorts of random cold emails every day from all sorts of vendors and all sorts of options for different bits and pieces that I largely just have to filter and, and, and don't reply to. But the, the best vendors really take time to offer something of value, to get a foot in the door, to have a conversation, to really engage and, and show an interest in, in, in our business. And that, that really matters. That really resonates. It's a value exchange. Got it. From a thinking about those investments and, and certainly that post-implementation phase, there's a alarming statistic I saw from our data, which is something like 65% of financial service investments are slowed down because of the speed of response. So vendors are not responding as quickly as perhaps the, the customer expects either before or post-purchase. Is that something you've experienced, the implementation phase? I mean, hindsight's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Mm. It's it's really that if you agree things beforehand and and responsibilities and accountabilities are really clear up front. I've not seen that happen so much. I think it's when it's left a bit vague. Yeah. Some of this is also naivety where, and this, this is this is as much on the vendor, I think, to be really clear, you know, when, when they've seen their product implemented, what has the business needed to do? Mm-hmm. And this is this bit of the difference between quick sale and walking away versus actually making sure it really works and really benefits the, the client. So I do believe that upfront understanding, even at contractual level, about SLAs and who's doing what is, is, is super, super critical here. But there's an education piece for the vendor to make really clear what they've seen previously and what level of, of support or guidance the client customer will need. 
Yeah, got it. I think with it, when you look at any successful technology project, whether it, it be led by the business marketing in your case or, or IT, a lot of it comes down to the, the vendor understanding the business need and, and actually making sure the technology is also performing. And those two things go hand in hand. If you haven't understood the business need, you, the technology oh, may not be the right fit or, or it's hard to get it to perform. Have you had any examples where vendors have been particularly helpful in, in making sure that those two things connect? Yeah, no, if I look back on my experience um, with Aviva and with Post Office when we were implementing MarTech, both were very specifically aligned to the needs of the business and what the business was trying to do. So in Post Office, it was about building a relationship with the millions of people that walk through the doors of a post office each day. And then for Aviva, it was very much around deepening excellence in digital and uh, relationship marketing to drive better cross-product holding uh, in certain product lines. And so the technology we procured very much, you know, in both those businesses fitted both those those sort of problem statements. And, that, and that, that's the bit that's really important there, isn't it? Is, is the client also knowing what their problem is and what they're trying mm -hmm. to solve. So being really clear, you know, what are we actually trying to do here? Because often, often, you know, with, with MarTech particularly, this technology can also be super good. It, it can solve more than you need it to. And so being really clear the problem you're trying to solve. And that doesn't mean you don't then overbuy with what you mm -hmm. need for the future, but being crystal clear, the problem is this, right? Okay, therefore, that then then for the vendor, it's like, right, this is this is the thing we've got to focus on sorting. If it does more, then great, but really the starting point is this and, and addressing this particular issue. Because then then success becomes easier to measure, doesn't it? Yeah, and you also avoid that shiny toy kind of rabbit hole of, oh, by oh, the way, yeah. also does this, and suddenly you've got scope creep happening all over the place, and, and actually what you set out to do gets lost along the way. So absolutely keeping on point, and I think that's really where strong leadership comes in, as you say, at the programme level, understanding it from your perspective as the client and, and keeping everyone focused and on, on point. I know there's a lot of cliches around right now, particularly as, as organisations look to consolidate and slim down their, their MarTech stack. How are you going about assessing what you have today and thinking forward 12 months, 18 months? Are, are you consolidating? Are you thinking of new ways to partner with vendors? Yeah, for me, it's a combination of the two. I think consolidation is not unhelpful. If, if you can bring your technology together more that it's more of a I guess a, a tight easy ecosystem and more cost effective one that's never a bad thing but there's also in terms of what you're hinting at a lot of innovation I see coming through from vendors so I don't I don't know whether a one-size-fits-all is necessarily always the answer and the critical piece for me is about future-proofing technology and what we're doing so I you know I'm trying to keep a five to ten year view here of well what where, where's all this heading I know that none of us have got a crystal ball but at least trying to understand where competitive advantage will be, where opportunities lie, is really important for me in future decision-making around who to work with. Because you want to go with a vendor that's going to build for the long term with you and keep mm -hmm. investing in you and you in them. And you can evolve together to, to drive real sustainable competitive advantage. As I say, in markets like ours that are increasingly competitive as well. And that, that whole customer journey is continuously changing. How, how much of that insight are you relying on your MarTech vendors to come and bring to you versus your, your own consultancy partners? So, the, yeah, MarTech vendors would definitely bring a lot in the context of um, what they're seeing elsewhere, particularly in other, other international markets and maybe from other UK clients in terms of emerging trends and how, I guess, particularly in digital, how data can be deployed, you know, more real time, more effectively and more in a way that enhances the customer experience. So now I, I think, um, I think yeah, the vendor bit, but also even within our own data, we, we've got a good view of, of what the customer experience looks like. 
So it, it, the perfect marriage is probably a mix of the two, mm-hmm. which is in the client's data meeting the vendor's data to really you know answer that challenge. Yeah, we've seen several vendors get much closer to, you know, use cases, proof of concepts where they're spinning up skunk work style projects to then show some kind of value exchange and then look at where they platform from there versus going in with a cookie cut, uh, one size fits all. And that, that seems to be a much more successful way to engage. No, I'd agree with that. I think the cookie cutter thing just doesn't work. Mm. I'm not sure it ever has done, but more than ever it does. <laughs> Looking back at past investment decisions you've made, Pete, what what surprised you most from a vendor in a good or bad way during that whole buying process? It is definitely the um, the need for the level of aftercare and support, and that's not just from the vendor; it may be from other other parties. So, if I look at the Aviva experience, where Aviva bought, as I, as I mentioned earlier on, the Adobe Marketing Cloud at, at the time, and relied quite heavily on Merkle to come in and help implement it, and look, again. Doesn't have to be Merkel, could be someone else. <laughs> but the part that surprised me is how much help we needed to really implement that at the time. And hindsight probably underestimated that slightly. Now that, that could have equally have come as support from Adobe themselves. So I, I think my, my key lesson there and what surprised me the most is, is it was actually harder to, it's pretty less about implementing the technology, it's more just using it in a meaningful way that drove the ultimate commercial value. And in, and in the end of Eva, you know, and I did some work on this before I left of Eva, restructured into different squads aligned by product end to end to use the Adobe Cloud to, to drive the, a better experience, a better, better sales rate and lower cost per sale. But it surprised me how labor intensive that was and how hard it was to drive change and the level of external support required did, did surprise me. And that may have been something unique to where Aviva was at at the time. But um, you know, quite a lot of, of, of data analytics teams and businesses are, are, are still quite reactive. And, and the best MarTech now is allowing you to be far more proactive. And I'm not sure every team is geared up to do that. So, so yeah, it, it, it's partly vendor, but pretty more ourselves as clients, you know, how hard that adjustment can be and how much effort and energy is required to drive real change. Fantastic. And what advice would you give to vendors, Pete, who are marketing and selling to companies like TSB, Aviva, Post Office? For me, the, the biggest thing is about empathy and listening, really understanding before you even approach a company like that. What is the problem statement? Uh, what do you think the issues are? And where can the technology you've got really begin to help and drive value for that organization and yeah and what what could success look like and then you're in a position to uh, approach and have a conversation the other bit is is there anything you can offer a value is there any insight or intelligence is there anything you can offer a value immediately that would get you in the door of an organization like that by having a really good conversation that says look you know we're vendor x we do this but actually we want to come and talk to you about this report or this thing we've done or this thing we've seen or, or whatever that is something that adds value to someone like me uh, and those conversations you know are really worthwhile because ultimately it's all about time isn't it we're all really busy and, and you're giving up potentially an hour if not more of your time you, you want to know that hour is worthwhile you know and having having something uh, some insight or intelligence or data you know gifted to you that helps you understand the opportunity better is 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 really helpful at those early stages. Fantastic. So start start with empathy, listen to your customer, paint a picture of where the end state is and, and make sure that you're leading with insight. It's a value exchange, even that first meeting. Think about what value you can bring to your customer, which would be your advice. Absolutely. Yeah, very true. 
Love it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Pete. This has been hugely insightful. I've really enjoyed the conversation and look forward to seeing you on June the 2nd at CBX 2020. Look forward to it too. Thanks ever so much. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum ABM, the account-based marketing consultancy, transforming how sales and marketing teams grow their biggest customers. You can learn more at MomentumABM.com.